Hello and welcome to our first ever Rugby Union podcast uh, with me today. No Ed King, which is sad, uh, but we do have Stuart Melville College's finest rugby players um, to have ever ever worn the shirt, uh, Jack Mysick and uh, James Marchant. Jack, first of all, you've played for the first 15 in, in a cup game, cup semi-final, I think, but is this the highlight of your career? Oh, without a doubt. I, I was definitely a token player in that, that first 15 game. Um, and as many people in our friendship group probably attest to, I was very lucky to be in there compared to some of the others. Um, yeah, everybody's probably feeling robbed, but it's quite funny. So we'll to go past it. Uh, Jimbo, again, I think the face of Rolls Royce's rugby team. Um, how, 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 are you, how are you doing today? I very much peaked at school's third 15. Uh, they haven't made it above there, but I was a stalwart of the undefeated uh, campaign in our fifth year. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously dabbled a bit at Keeble and then uh, kept playing at Rolls-Royce as well, as you said. Hung up my boots about two years ago. So there we go. As you can see, guys, we've got expert rugby analysts on today. Um, so, um, uh, so it's going to be quite a good, fun podcast, actually. We're going to just preview the Six Nations, which start this week, obviously. Um, we're going to obviously focus majority on Scotland because that's what we kind of where we're from and what we want to uh, know about. Um, so it's going to the squad announcement obviously happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think we're just going to go position by position. Think get Jack and James's thoughts and what uh, Gregor Townsend's picked. And obviously we've got some interesting debate questions later on. Um, so Jimbo, let's kick us off with the let's go forwards first. Front row, obviously a position you know very well. Um, what's your thoughts on the squad selections in the front row and who are you kind of backing to maybe start the first game in the Six Nations for Scotland up there? So I think the key headliner of the front row is really Hooker, obviously missing McAnally and Brown uh, due to injury or un- unavailable for the squad. So you've got George Turner, who's a great former Stumel, uh alumni there uh who's the clear first choice and then he's i think he's picked three other hookers in the squad and it's anyone's guess who he's going to put put on the bench dave cherry probably knows a bit better at edinburgh but then he's got the young uh ashman uh and uh i can't remember who the, the fourth one is is it craig alex grant craig stewart, I think. grant stewart there you go should have looked that up before yeah. uh so a bit of some unknown quantities in there i think he'll probably go with cherry but I may be wrong. Uh, I don't, don't, Ashman's not got much game time at sale, I don't think, but he's a young young lad, so it could be interesting to see during the tournament. Uh, props, uh, Tighthead got a full complement of kind of the first choices with Matt Fagerson, WP Nell, and Simon Bergen. I think you can't really look past Fagerson nowadays uh, for the starting berth. WP Nell's getting on a bit age-wise. I think great option off the bench. Uh, I think it will co- come down to who, the opposition, who they pick out of those those two on the bench. And then at loose head, uh, kind of chopping and changing as it always does, got Ollie Kebble. He's now qualified uh, uh, on residency. He made his debut, I think, in the autumn. Uh, he could he could come in there. And then Alan Dell is back in out of the wilderness from London Irish. And But I think the starting berth will probably go to Rory Sutherland, who really showed his mettle in the, in the last uh, tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, I think, as you said, I think you pointed out, and that's what I'm going to go to Jack with, is how confident do you feel? Like, obviously, George is going to lead a site at Hooker, and that's, he's only had a handful of caps um, for Scotland. 
and obviously isn't as experienced going into the game um, against uh, the big teams in the Six Nations. If he goes down with COVID stuff and stuff, and Dave Cherry is starting at hooker for Scotland, does that does that concern you at all? I think it's I think it's a really interesting one. I mean, first to note as well, like four hookers in a squad at the best of times is really strange. Um, I remember James mentioning this previously. I I think we both think it's due because Townsend doesn't really know who his second choice is, um, which is super interesting. I think you know Turner offers so much around the field. He's very similar to to McAnally in a way in terms of very dynamic in the loose, um, very combative. Um, I do have a few concerns over his discipline and his arrows as well. I mean, you're going to Twickenham against, you know, a pretty formidable line-out opposition there. So seeing how well he does under pressure, <clears throat> it's anyone's guess. I mean, probably no better time to start a Six Nations game than in front of an empty stadium. Um, you know, I, I really like Dave Cherry, to be honest, from what I've seen of him. Uh, he looks really strong over the ball, always does a really solid shift for Edinburgh. Um uh, and you know, I think he's a decent backup. Uh, how? I mean, this is coming from a guy who's never played, never even looked like being near a Six Nations squad before. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I I think there's a lot of anticipation and potentially a lot riding on those on Turner going really well against England. Yeah, I think um, the thing the thing that kind of I, I mean, I, I obviously like with that PSG I was working with Edinburgh last year, so I got to see a lot of Dave Cherry. Um, especially when the Scotland guys were away for the World Cup and stuff, and he, you know, like he was really close, I think, to getting a Scotland call up when injuries were starting to hit uh, for the World Cup uh, as like a a replacement. Um, so obviously, Townsend likes what he sees in him because uh, he was, I think, next in line pretty much. But the other side of that, and the flip side for me is towards the end of the season, um, I don't know if it was injuries or not, but he wasn't even second choice at Edinburgh. It was. Um, Mike Willemsey was the second choice and obviously McAnally was the first choice and Cherry didn't get much game time until McAnally went away for Six Nations and all that kind of stuff so that's the only slight concern for me uh, with him and yeah I, I, don't know how, I don't know how confident I'd feel him going up against England if something happens to George or something in the in the warm-ups uh, I think that could be a bit that could be a humbling debut for the lad <laughs> if, he, um, if he goes up there. It is his debut, right? I think it would be his debut. Yeah, it would be. I mean, yeah, yeah I agree. I would be shitting myself. But <laughs> I, I think you've got to remember, like, his club coach is Richard Cockrell, who was, you know, a very experienced hooker for England, has a real snarl and edge to him. You know, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't be... And, like, you know, you saw that with Sutherland having very little game time really before... Um, you know, the last Six Nations came around and went and did a solid shift. I mean, you know, if he, if you think about it, he knows he's probably going to be on the bench. He's got 20 minutes to come on, make an impact in a game. God knows what stage he'll be at um, after 60 minutes. But, you know, I think uh, good luck to the kid. I think, you know, it, it's a great opportunity for him. Um, well, Jack, why don't you take us on then? Take us on to the second row. I think this might be a slightly easier I think Scotland may have probably their strongest players available at this position. But uh, what's your what's your thoughts on the the two Gray brothers, obviously Cummings, and people that may have been left out as well, like people like Ben Toulis and others that may have been available for Scotland but haven't been picked in that second row position. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can see a lot of the the usual suspects in here. You know, the I mean, for me personally, I'm I'm delighted to see Richie Gray back in the fold. He offers something very different, um, and his recent performances in the granted not greatest quality 1872 Cup games definitely merited it. Um, you know, Johnny Gray and Scott Cummings have been uh, like mainstay for the the last few games, so you probably back them to start. Um, and you know it's, it's good to see someone like Alex Craig at uh, Gloucester getting a call up who's although Gloucester aren't doing well he's been putting in pretty respectable performances um, on people to miss out I think Sam Skinner must be wondering what he's got to do there because I think a, a lot of quality he brings a lot of quality and I mean I'm sure you'll touch on it in with the next grouping but like a lot of versatility there too um, I mean all, with all these Covid squads it's worth remembering that you know this the strange setups of the squads is to do with, you know, who they believe is going to be actually within a chance of being in the first team rather than a bigger extended squad. Oh, sorry, Jimbo, what were you going to say? Yeah, Jack, I was just going to bring up Alex Craig because you're right, a bit of a, a bolter to this squad, maybe out of the wilderness for those that haven't followed uh, the club rugby down in England that much. What sort of player would you say he is? Is it like an attritional second row line out operator? I mean, I will lie, I'm not seeing too much of him, but I remember him at the under 20s and he was a part of that team that had, you know, like the likes of Kinghorn, Graham, um, well, like Ross McCann and stuff. And he was he was very athletic um, and, you know, he did bring a bit more grunt than we've maybe been accustomed to with Scottish second row. So, you know, I, I mean, touching on that, maybe that is what Townsend's gone for. And it's a bit more of a robust option in there um, when you've got quite, you know, like you look at Cummings and, and Richie Gray, they're much more like athletic and, and line yeah. operators. Um, but I mean, like, <clears throat> I, I think looking ahead, like, um, you know, you, you've got really strong line out options there, which will help a lot with the new hookers. Um, so he's clearly gone for, for like some pretty solid line out operators in there rather than mixing up too much. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, the thing for you, James, uh, I got a question is, how much does playing together at, like you guys have both played in, in like as forwards and stuff, uh, obviously this is a different level, but how much playing with someone in the second row, like that chemistry, how important is that? So for instance, obviously Cummins is playing with Richie Gray at Glasgow and Johnny Gray is obviously playing down south. Um, do you think that maybe gives Richie the edge to start? I know Johnny's probably a better player, don't get me wrong, but does that chemistry of playing together all year for Glasgow very, very well, I must say, give them... Would, would, that, would that come into consideration at all for Townsend is what I'm trying to say? I think probably not at scrum time in the professional game nowadays. They can all do a job. They're all big men that can that can push forward. I think line-out time is where that might come into it. But I think you've got... Johnny Gray only left the team, what, 12 months ago. It's not like he doesn't know the lads. They've all been in the Scotland system a long time. I don't think that that's a reason you'd pick Richie over Johnny. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I mean, we're not going to go wrong either way, are we, Jack? I mean, they're, they're, all three of them are pretty quality. Um, and as I said, that might be one of our strongest position groups, to be honest, at <laughs> the second row. Um, and moving on from that, I'm moving on to the back row now because... Uh, I've got some interesting thoughts on this one because obviously you've got the usual stuff. So like I think Hamish Watson and Jamie Richie are probably going to start at flanker. Like they're both phenomenal. I think Jamie Richie's got the has he got the vice captaincy? Is that right? I think he's a vice captain. I might be wrong. 
I saw somewhere in the forum that they were like, he should be a future Scotland captain, which I can kind of see. He's got that kind of uh, thing about him. Um, my question is for you, obviously, um, the number eight position is up for debate. And you look at the options and you've got uh, the Falcons guy. What's his name? Come on. Craig Graham? Graham. Gary yeah. Graham. Gary Graham, that's one. Gary Graham, he's been uh, he's been incredible all year. Uh, really good. I think his ability to make meters after contact and stuff has been something that everyone talked about this year. Whether he can kind of bring that into the game at, at the international level is a different story, obviously. It's a much tougher thing. And I don't know about you guys, but Matt Fer- uh, Ferguson's not really been uh, my personal favourite at number eight. I think... I think he's all right, but prone to mistakes. And uh, I just don't think he gives us that. The number eight, I think, is a really underrated position. It's something that can actually change games quite quickly with playmaking. And I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think Craig Graham, maybe, Gary Graham, I can't wait, Craig. Uh, Gary Graham can give us that more with what he's done, <laughs> obviously, if he can translate that into the international game. So, Jack, what do you think? Which way would you go at the number eight position? Yeah, I, I get your point on Ferguson. Um, I, I think you've got to go with form right now. Um, Gary Graham has been posting something like 20 carries on average in, in the Premiership this season, a game, which is mental. He's got huge work rate. And if you read all the coaches, because I think his defence coach up at Falcons is Nick Easter, who was a nasty bastard of a number eight and a great player. And he rates him really highly. Um, I think you've got to go with that form. He's used to playing against these guys and, you know, if there's one thing the Scotland team is lacking, it's go forward ball. And they've got a back line that is like desperate to, to thrive off it. And I think you've got to go with that. Um, I, you know, I think one thing I'm going to throw into the mix is um, I, I know Jamie Ritchie is going through concussion protocol and it's a bit touch and go as to whether or not he's going to make it. So if he isn't going to make it to that first team, who is starting for England? Jim, go on. Let's, let's, let's see what you've got to offer in that. That's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I think it probably starts depending who you go at eight, because I think maybe you could see an argument for get Gary Graham on the pitch at six with Hamish Watson at seven and Matt Fagerson at eight. We've not really touched on Blade Thompson, probably because we've not really seen much of him in a Scotland shirt and he plays at Scarlet, so we don't really track him. Um, but I guess he's the other kind of option there that, maybe he'll come into it. I think you're right. I think if um, if uh, Jamie Ritchie's out, I think it's got to be Hamish Watson, Matt Fakerson and Gary Graham, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I'd assume so. But one thing I'd say is, do you think, uh, just going for people that have been left out, do you think the Nick Haling experiment uh, is over in the sense that obviously he was brought in last year to play a few games and uh, him obviously not being selected here, we've got Gary Graham, we've got... Matt Fagerson, um, do you think he's kind of lost his chance to play for Scotland, or do you think he can kind of bounce back? I don't think he's been he's been he's been okay for Edinburgh. Like he's not been anything special, and when he played for Scotland, he wasn't anything special. But he didn't really make any mistakes either. Like it wasn't if that makes sense. What, what do you think, Jack? Yeah, I, I feel for Nate Caning a bit, to be honest. Um, you know, I think whenever he has come on, he's done a great show. His first game was against Ireland, where Stuart Hogg famously dropped the ball over the line. Um, and, you know, I think he does. I think he is what we kind of want from Blade Thompson. He's a ball player. You know, he's got Aussie rules experience. He's he, he's, a, he's a really good athlete. Um, 
I would probably take him ahead of, of Thompson generally, but you know, these poor blokes at Edinburgh are stuck behind Bill Matta, who is an undoubtedly wonderful player. Um, maybe we'll touch on it later, but I, I just, I feel for his chance and maybe a couple of the other back rows at Edinburgh, their, their international ambitions are a bit stunted because they can't get regular game time. Yeah, and yeah. that's, that's if you're building towards the World Cup, which is essentially what we're doing, right? The whole point of, yeah, Six Nations is great and stuff and the autumn tests and stuff, but the World Cup is the, the main thing in rugby and you... We've absolutely screwed up the last one, but we're building towards the next one. Would you not give the young guys more of a go? Like, obviously, Magnus Bradbury's not been picked. I don't know if he's injured or not, but he plays in that back row hybrid role where he can play eight, six, seven. Um, as you say, Blade Thompson is in the squad. Would, would there not be an argument made, James, that you can maybe get Magnus in there if he's fit? I don't know if he's fit or not. I've I not checked. To just try and get that Edinburgh... Like, like that, that's like an Edinburgh trio right there. I know, obviously, Bill Matt is incredible. And you're never really going to start ahead of him. But the Richie, Watson, Bradbury could be the the back row in four years' time. Like, you don't know. Yeah, Bradbury just seems to fall out of favour uh, every so often with Gregor. Maybe he's gone on a night out and knocked himself out or something again. But, um, yeah, I, it's interesting. You're right. Again, back row dynamics, I think we'll probably see Graham at eight with the two Edinburgh lads, and I think that will be a nice balanced back row. It's interesting that back row's traditionally been an area of depth for Scotland, but it's suddenly starting to look like after the front two flankers, we don't really have much at the moment. Uh, yeah, so well, that's a question for both of you guys. So the, the magic bees that we had a decade ago as a back row. The killer bees. Get the, the killer bees, sorry, killer bees. Um, James, which, what, what back row would you rather have right now, the killer bees, or would you have these guys? Uh, I think I think the Killer Bees, the reason they worked so well was just the, the balance that they brought. You had like um, Barkley at the breakdown, you had Kelly Brown just at every single tackle, and then you had Johnny Beattie being an absolute animal with the ball in hand. I think we missed something like a Johnny Beattie in his prime so much that I'd probably take the Killer Bees, yeah. even though I think the, the flankers of today, Watson and Ritchie, probably edge it. I mean, the option we haven't talked about that I will get told off if I don't is we could obviously put Duhan van der Meer at eight. Like, that is talk some ball carrying <laughs> run that we're missing. Let's bring him forward. I'll tell you what, uh, we'll get to it later where I absolutely despise Townsend. But if he did that, I'd have so much respect for him. Like, I, I, I mean, you know what? He's trying something different. Jack, Jack is so pained right now as a <laughs> back row forward. <laughs> um, well, Leon, Leon and Franz put Bastero at number eight. <laughs> um, you know, you gotta think, why not? I mean, could you imagine the go forward if he off eight? Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, what? So, Jack, different question for you, but similar kind of vibe. The killer bees threes and this three, you pick your three out of those. So, what three are you leaving out? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I gave you a harder one than James, to be fair. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think I would probably be quite cheeky and i would play i would move barkley to six play watson and then have johnny Beatty. Nice. I, I agree with jimbo i think the scotland team's crying out for someone like johnny Beatty right now um yeah prime johnny Beatty hit different I, I think we all thoroughly have enjoyed and i've certainly watched about 100 times the video of him steamrolling paul o'connell and rob <laughs> cardi at croke park <laughs> that was actually that was scenes to be fair um well, I think that that's the forwards done, and it's good chat. I don't think we've missed any notable people that have been left out. I don't think so. Um, so let's move to the backs. 
uh, scrum half's pretty boring, to be honest. Um, any, any comments on those? I mean, is Ali Price is going to start, but yeah, James, what? I just um, had a question for Jack, who's probably tracked a bit more recently. What's happened to George Horn? Where's he gone? George Horn's been injured, I believe. Uh... Um, but even before that, I don't think he was getting much game time. Um, that's another potential backlog of players who <clears throat> are all quite similar, stuck at the same club, because they've got Jamie Doby, the, the young guy coming through, came through on a school contract, who looks absolutely top-notch. Um, but yeah, I mean, George Horn's just signed a new professional deal, um, so what's that, another probably couple of years of him, so who, who knows? I mean, he, he's his, his try record is still, like, ridiculous. If he's getting, like, what... Is it like a try every other game or a try and assist every other game, which is just crazy statistics? Crazy. Like, you know, the people who have that kind of record are like um, TJ Perinara and stuff <laughs> like that. They're like genuinely world-class players. So, like, he would always be in my squad if he's fit and available. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I'd say that uh, Jimbo, um, losing Greg Laidlaw, obviously, for like uh, to retirement and stuff, is that a miss or a blessing coming into the Six Nations with uh, Ali Price now starting? Uh, I think for where Scotland want to go, it's it's a blessing. I think they needed to move on from that that painfully slow ball at the back of the <laughs> But equally, I think Scotland's recent record wouldn't have happened with someone like him. I think you see when he it was a calm influence, particularly Finn in his early years, kind of the the petulance that you sometimes see on the field needed someone like Greg Laidler inside him. But I think for the future, he just wasn't the right option going forward. Yeah. Jack, anything to add on that for you as well? Is the same? I mean, I was probably get booed by by <laughs> certain other laid laws, but um, <laughs> I think I think if you look back to some of Scotland's best performances the last few years, Greg Laidlaw has been near enough at the helm of them. Um, <clears throat> you know, for goal kicking alone, you know, you look at the the people in that squad, and is there really like a, a 90% there or thereabouts kicker there? You know, that's something we need to think about, especially as, you know, the game develops. You're not get like, there's not nearly as many scoring opportunities, try scoring opportunities as there are now. Oh, what are you going to say? Something I have to say about the squads is I'm on rugbyworld.com and Finn Russell is listed twice in the squad. So <laughs> if you can have him kick having two attempts at each goal, that would be perfect. We might be all right. well above 90%. Maybe we can wheel out uh, Chris Patterson <laughs> off the bench every time we got a penalty or something on a blood replacement. That would be a job. Um, you won't take him if it's outside 40, though. <laughs> you definitely start just like lighting up the stats and just like, just like, I'm only taking him if it's straight in front 40. If, yeah, exactly. Straight in front, maybe maybe 10 metres to the left or right, but that's that's as far as he's going to go. Too windy. Um, going to the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's move on to um, 10. And the, this one's quite interesting because obviously you've got you've got the man, Finn, like he is the man for Scotland. He's probably the best, like the most important player for the team, probably the most like most skillful player in the team. Um, but behind him, like, oh, oh. I mean, don't get me wrong. I watched Jacko last year for Edinburgh and... He was fine. Like that's all. That's all I can describe. Him. He was fine. Like yeah, he did a job. Uh, he never really like let a game on fire on his own. He was okay. Is uh, Jack has Duncan Weir been done dirty here? I feel for Duncan Weir <laughs> purely because from like you know you've got Jaco van der Vaart in the squad. You know exactly what you're getting. I don't believe he's producing rugby any better than Duncan Weir right now in both kicking out of hand, kicking at the post. I mean. They both sit like, you know, 10 metres behind the game line. 
which is horrible. Um, and <clears throat> I, I feel for Duncan Weir because I like I I think he's he's got much more clout at this level than someone like Van der Vaart has. Yeah, I mean, one thing I will say with Jacko, his kicking's actually quite good. <laughs> like his goal kicking's not bad, but. You can kick it from like a hundred meters out. It's like yeah. it's an African trait. I I wonder where they got these super strong legs from. Right? <laughs> That's probably another pod. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's very legal. Uh, so um, uh, yeah. So I mean, ten. Anything to add, James? I don't. Uh, we can move on from ten. It's quite no. Yeah, if Finn nothing... Russell gets injured, we're losing every game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even to Italy. Uh, okay. Well, this is the interesting one, and obviously we've had a few comments on the Instagram page about the centre position. Um. A lot of hype about Red Pit going and playing for Scotland, saying he's eligible. And the first thing I want to talk about is the people that didn't make the squad. So uh, for me, people that I wrote down my list that didn't make the squad that I think should have been in with a shout. Um, obviously, my boys Matt Scott, Mark Bennett, and then. Um, I thought Rory Hutchison not getting a shout is very very harsh. Um, Especially with the kind of guys they put like Lang for, for instance. I, I just didn't really, I didn't really understand that one. Uh, but yeah, so what's your guys' thoughts on the exclusion of Bennett, Scott, and Hutch- I, I know. Don't get me wrong. I know Bennett's not been, he's not been that good at the start of this year, but he's kind of building up one now. He was really good last year for Edinburgh. Matt Scott, I don't think is playing that much for Leicester. I might be wrong, but I don't think he's been. Is it Leicester? Is that? I think it's at Leicester. Yeah, he's not really playing as much as he'd like and obviously he is made of glass which doesn't help um what's your thoughts on that Jimbo you can you can have first dibs on this on the guys that haven't quite got in yeah I think it's become a real area of depth for Scotland uh and that's kind of reflected in the the names that are missing out I mean you all know I'm, I'm a big fan of Matt Scott and I always think he should get picked in any Scotland squad even if he's currently injured but uh sadly that that's not the way Gregor Townsend views the world. Um, and I, th- I think, as you said, he's not done enough at Leicester to really put his name in there. I think, to be honest, and Hutchison, again, it's just one of those, he's not really been given a chance, but he's also not proven himself at the Scotland level. Um, I think he's one of those guys that just misses out, basically from kind of being further away from the SRU than the others. Um, I think the real one I can't get my head around is Bennett, who's been tearing up trees for Edinburgh. Um, and I thought I was sure he was going to at least make the extended squad, even if he didn't start. Um, so I think definitely an argument for Bennett being in the squad over everyone else, but um, probably not the other two. Well, the, the one thing I say, Jack, and uh, I'll come to you about this, like um, you look at the selection of Duncan Taylor and Lang. They're the two that I'm looking at with the guys that have been left out. And Duncan, I mean, you say Matt Scott's injury, but Duncan Taylor is not much better. Um, I've got some stats on that if you want. Yeah, go on. <laughs> some of my stats research was I looked up Duncan Taylor. Since he made his Scotland debut, there have been 87 Scotland games. He's played in 28 of them. It's only 32% of games, as in since he's been on the scene, that he's been picked for. Now, there could be a couple of in there where he was like out of favour or like resting at a World Cup, but the vast majority of them are to do with lengthy injury spells. Since the longest streak of consecutive appearances he's made is nine. So, and of, and that's his first nine games. And of six of them, he was a sub. 
<laughs> so since then, the longest string he's been able to string together, as in without missing a single Scotland game, is I think six, and even then he was a sub for one of them as well. So he just misses game after game. Well, that's what um, I mean. Like if if yeah. if you want an injury-prone guy, get Matt Scott in. Like, he'll do. The, he'll, he's actually incredible. And he, like the, some of the stuff he was doing at Edinburgh last year, like Edinburgh were so good last year, and I think that centre partnership, Bennett Scott, was a really like big reason of why they were so good last year. And that's kind of fallen away, the show, obviously, with Matt moving away. Um, and the other thing, so obviously I'll have your opinion in Duncan Turner in a second, Jack. The other one, Lang, I mean, he was he played a few games of the autumn tests. And uh, again, it's like Jack, he was fine. Like, he was fine. But he, he, there was nothing he did in, that, in those games where I went, oh, God, he's, wow, this guy's got it. And there also wasn't anything he did where you're like, oh, that's a howler, what's he doing? Um... Um, and James is, yeah, 15 and wing as well. Yes, I know, I know Duncan Taylor can play multiple positions, but then doesn't that why Hugh Jones is in the squad? Because Hugh Jones has been playing 15 for Glasgow, I think. Um, and that's where he's been very successful, which is another question, Jack. Sorry, I'm firing these at you, mate. So you better keep touch. Um, does Hugh Jones justify getting a center spot despite being really good at 15 for Glasgow, not the position that he's been selected for in Scotland? Um, <clears throat> right, well, first of all, I think we need to touch on, I am genuinely stunned that Taylor's actually played that many games. <laughs> like, like, if he's played that many for Scotland, God knows how he's made, made for Saracens, because he has been so injury short. I'm genuinely amazed he's made 28 appearances. Um, right, so... Hold on, where do we go? Um, yes, go so you've got, you've got Taylor and Lang. Look, um, I, I think, like... Townsend's clearly a big fan of Lang. Um, you know, from what I, I saw, he offers a defensive solidity in the 12 channel for quite a small guy, um, which Townsend clearly likes. You know, like we went from this swashbuckling Scotland team who would score three tries but concede seven. Um, and now we've gone from one that, you know, will score one and concede one, maybe, and, and probably lose on penalties. Um and like, there's clearly a big change in emphasis. And you look at you look at pretty much everyone in there because I personally think Hugh Jones has been picked primarily as a fullback cover for Hogg, and then would be considered a centre. Whereas Taylor is like, I think he's in there as a centre. And you've got huge defensive options in there. You've got real defensive solidity. Taylor historically has been a, a, a linchpin of a very successful Saracens team. Um, you know, Harris has been uh, an extremely, um, well, he's just been extremely solid um, and has done really well at Gloucester, even though they're having a bit of a crap time right now. But he's very highly regarded in that channel. Um, and, you know, I think that's where Hutchison's come undone because I love Rory Hutchison. I think he's a fantastic player in a, a crap Northampton team. He is a beating heart in that side. Um, but I think he's not getting in because he's looked a bit susceptible defensively. Um, where else? What else did we touch on? Uh, well, uh, just I quickly on Bennett. I think Bennett is a travesty. I don't <laughs> see. I think he's been outstanding the last few games. Um, but and and I think previously the concern was his defence. Whereas now I think he's shown that he's been really strong defensively. Um, and certainly he's been commented on guys like Jim Hamilton on on Premier Sports and stuff. We've mentioned how strong he is defensively now. Um, One thing I'd say on uh, so quickly on. Uh what you were mentioning to do with uh, Hutchison. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan as well, don't get me wrong. I don't think 12 is position that I should... I think 13 is where he probably... is more of a 13 than a 12 for me. Like, he's got that turn of pace. 
and is more attack-minded, as you say. Maybe his defence is a bit susceptible. So to try and pick him as a 12, I can understand him being left up. But do you not think you can make a case of not playing Duncan Taylor, picking him as a 13, and that gives you that... Like, I'd, I'd much rather have him come off the bench than... You know what I mean? Like I, I like I like vers- I like people that have a turn of pace and can change the game. Not these guys. Oh, they're good at defending. Yeah, great. We'll lose a, by a forty, like by an eightieth minute penalty. Fantastic. Um, so th- do you not think? Uh, do you think Hutchison Jimbo has would would suit the thirteen position a bit better and probably should be in the squad based on that? I think that's where he plays a lot for uh, Northampton. But I think the the thing with Scotland and their centres is. It just seems to be where are we going to put Chris Harris on the park? Because that seems to be what Gregor does first, and then fit that fit the other centre around him. Um, I think, which I don't well, necessarily agree with. Well, I was just say, well, I was just say, where do you stand on that? Do you, do you think Chris Harris should be the first name on the team sheet with regard to centre? Well, he's kind of done nothing wrong for Scotland, and clearly his work, his work ethic, and uh, his work around the park, and his uh, defence just Gregor loves having that solidity. Uh, so I I don't think he is, but I think he is Gregor's first name on the team sheet in that back line, after Hogg, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I I think yeah Hutch could play. Th- I think he's the thirteen. Yes, is the short yeah. He's a good distributor though, so that's why maybe you could see him at twelve. I, one point I'd I'd make is I think the dynamic of the centre is completely changes with Finn Russell in the squad. If you're if you're not relying if you if you've got a Hastings or a Van der Vault delivering, then I think you need that creativity. Whereas I imagine Rush Townsend's thinking, I've got a man who can create magic on the park here. Or I just need a bit of solidity so I can have the back three, which we'll probably go on to, be unlocked by the magician that is Finn Russell instead. Well, uh, let's just move on. We've talked about centres for, and I think I can generally talk about them for like another hour because uh, Bennett and Scott should be there. But anyway. Um, Jimbo, who who starts for Scotland then? Go on. Is it has Redpath got a chance? Has he has he got? I a... think so. I think looking at the looking at the centres he has picked, I think Redpath will start at twelve and Harris will start at thirteen. I, I think there's no danger that Cam Redpath's not in that squad purely just to, he has to get capped, and yeah. they may as well do as soon as possible. And you know, and against England, I'll, exactly <laughs> against England, it's an empty stadium. You know. <laughs> You've got to go for it, and he's a quality player, you know, undoubtedly. You know, one thing, uh, one thing that obviously another Instagram question that came in for you guys, uh, Redpath and Hugh Jones as a 12-13 combination. To me, that sounds almost suicidal. Um, but uh, but just because I, I genuinely think Hugh Jones doesn't understand how, what defending is, and uh, I'm not his biggest fan, by the way, if you've not noticed, and. Red, I'm not. I've not watched enough of Redpath to know what he, what he's good at, what he's doing. All I know he's quite an explosive, attacking-minded player, uh, and quite a talent. So, uh, do you see any way, uh, James, a little Hugh Jones Redpath combination coming in? It would be exciting. I mean, it I, would be exciting. Point, I don't think it will be the starting pair. Um, again, I think it probably kind of opposition dependent. I'm just looking up Cameron Redpath's stats. He's uh, 188 centimeters, but only 95 kilos. Like. That's that's not a big defender. I mean, at least England aren't going to be bringing Tuolangi down the centres. Um, <laughs> Ollie, Ro- Ro- Ollie Lawrence isn't a small bloke though. Who might be? Oh, that's there. true. That's true. Um, I just I don't I don't I think as much as I rate Hugh attacking, I don't think he's getting near that thirteen shirt against yeah. England. 
Well, well, as you said, it's Townsend in charge. No one's going to mirror that 13 shirt until Chris Harris retires. Um, exactly. Um, that's what makes Scotland so... I'll get on to it later, but I love Sam Johnson. And I, and him and Harris, when they play together, it's a bit of an eyesore at times because it's just... It's like the equivalent of like Sam Allardyce like, playing football. It's just like boring, let's just park the bus kind of vibes. Um, but anyway, let's move on from centres, unless you guys have anything else to add on them. Um, let's go on to the wingers because this is really interesting obviously for the past few Six Nations and stuff it's been very consistently Darcy Graham Sean Maitland as the wingers and they've been very successful very solid players Um, and then this big massive South African rocks up decides he wants to be Scottish and I mean, you've got to pick him. Like, you just have to pick him. You just There's no way Duane Van der doesn't start for me. Um, I, is, is Sean Maitland a bit unlucky to get left out of the squad, Jack? You know what? Worryingly, I don't think it's a given that Van der is going to start. And I think that's just down to England's kicking game. They, they've, they've been absolutely ruthless at, at targeting teams and, and putting them under pressure with a, a really competitive kick game I and mean, you look at the guys they'll probably they're probably going to pick what johnny may uh i think anthony watson's fit and these guys are brilliant in the air you know like anthony watson plies his trade at fullback a lot for bath and johnny may has i used to think he was an absolute donkey but he's become, <laughs> his like improvement in rugby in the last few years is like genuinely unbelievable um i i would love van der merva graham oh van der merva to start i think mm-hmm. like i think you're going up against an England team that's going to defend like a brick wall and they're going to be brutal and someone who can physically smash over the game line beyond Russell's inside or, and ideally, you know, turning George Ford into carpet uh, in the 10 channel. Like I think he's too dangerous a weapon to, to be there, but I wouldn't be surprised if Townsend picked Maitland ahead of him for defensive security um, for high ball security more than anything. What do you think, James? Uh, I, I actually agree with Jasm on this one. I, I don't. You can't look past uh, Duhan for me, just because of what he offers going forward. And I've kind of heard rumours that Darcy may be a bit out of favour. Uh, I, I can't really remember kind of oh, saying. If that's right, uh, uh, oh, I'm out. But you know that meme of him just like bouncing on someone's back at the last. <laughs> I just want that to be. You can't not pick him. He just looks no, so happy. Darcy, I, I like. What's that famous quote from the NFL? He's redefining quickness. I think that's what... Uh, <laughs> I think Darcy Graham might be redefining... Tell Shane think, Williams that. Well, I know, but his his acceleration's nuts. Like, it's unbelievable. And I think his his agility, like making players miss and stuff, I think he's phenomenal. Like, he's the best winger Scotland have. I don't care. I know Duhan's just stepped up, but yeah. you can't... If you don't pick Darcy Graham, I genuinely am going to start supporting England. Like, yeah. I, pff, I'm out. To be honest, for me, Jasmine, the real debate is who gets the 23 shirt. Oh, like, yeah. That was, I was going to move on to that, actually. And then there's, there's like, you could go, there's three. You've got Kinghorn, I'm assuming Maitland, and um, Joe. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I was going to move on to. Let's move on to 15. Like, obviously, Stuart Hogg's going to start. Um, but after that, Blair Kinghorn has not been good. Uh, he has not been good of late. Um, and I think he's kind of... Uh, hang about the squad based off what he did a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago but he's not if you go on recent form he's been poor for Edinburgh he's been poor for Scotland um, and you've obviously got Hugh Jones has been pretty good at 15 and I think it'd be silly not to go for Jones for the number 23 shirt just purely because he offers you the cover at centre and he offers you 
cover at 15. And at 15, he's been better than Blair Kinghorn. I know, I think Blair can give you some cover at wing, I think, as well. But I think that's not really an issue um, because I'm sure you can chuck uh, it's wing, right? You can put anyone out there. It doesn't really matter. Um, um, but yeah, it has to, uh, surely Hugh Jones, right? Sean Maitland, maybe, but uh, could Maitland cover 15 if Hall goes down? 100%. Two years ago, Maitland started when we had, you know, oh, did he? a team uh, practically playing at Twickenham. But I mean, I mean, we had like scrum halves on the wing and <laughs> we got demolished a few years ago too. Um, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of people's concerns about Jones were, you know, you know, we, we know he's, his attacking potential is amazing. And, you know, the idea of him getting ahead of steam and, you know, being able to spot gaps from the backfield is really good. You know, I've, I've seen nothing to concern me defensively with him being at 15. Um, and I, I think he has to be that 23 shirt, really. You know, and, and a great option, you know, if, if one of the centres goes down too, it gives you that flexibility if, if, you know, Scotland need to chase the game, which, let's be honest, there's probably a fair chance they will at one point. <laughs> Yeah. The only name we haven't said in the squad is Byron McGuigan as well. I think he's I have no proven idea. himself completely <laughs> adequate when he's come on, but at the moment I wouldn't pick him out above any. I kind of see him as a poor man's Maitland, really. Yeah. Um, he's in there because he started two years ago. And they're like, just get the old band back together. So <laughs> Mark II. Um, just quickly, I don't, we didn't really touch on it um, when we were talking about centres. Uh, I'll get both your opinions before we move on. How big a loss is not having Sam Johnson in the squad? Um, because I, I've, uh, is it a loss? Because obviously he's so strong in that position. I'm a massive Sam Johnson fan. I think he brings so much to this team. And obviously what he did in that Twickenham game, I mean, he's a legend. Um, but Jack, do you think Scotland will miss him? Or do you think we've got enough cover with what we've got? I, th- I think he's a great player. Um, he punches so far above his weight, but I think what this Scotland team needs right now is not a Sam Johnson-esque player, and they need a ball-playing red path, or you know, even like ideally like a Matt Scott or someone like that. Oh, that's going to take this team forward. Um, <laughs> so I don't think he's going to be a, a that big a loss, but you know, it'll be great for him to come back in contention. You know, if, I mean, there's a fair chance he he could get called up. You know, he's, yeah. he's just come back from injury at Glasgow, but. Uh, I, I think we need something different, especially with Harris at 13. Okay, well, Jimbo, this is the point where you tell me how Scotland are going to win the Six Nations. So, um, who, uh, uh, what, no, but seriously, though, what do you think is going to, how do you think Scotland are going to go ahead this year? Obviously, they love, they love that two wins, three loss uh, vibe every single year. So, with the ways uh, shaping up, and we'll talk about their teams in a bit, um, where, how many wins do you think Scotland realistically will get? I think three wins would be an amazing tournament for Scotland. I think, sadly, that that's the benchmark that's always there. I don't see them getting past France. Sadly, I don't see them getting past England. I think Wales are there for the taking. Again, Italy, we should we should breeze past. And then Ireland are an interesting one. Haven't really proven themselves under Farrell yet. I think, personally, Sexton has passed it. I don't know why he's still the captain. Um, but we just seem to struggle against Ireland. The only factor that's really changed here is there are no there are no crowds, so it could be that that's enough of a factor for the Scotland team that have kind of recently struggled away from home. Yeah, maybe but we'll take a few scalps. But how, how, how are the Scotland players going to react when there's not that really creative chant around Murrayfield going <laughs> Scotland? Well, they're driving forward. <laughs> they're driving forward. They win. Uh, under Townsend, they won 65% of their games at home. 
it's definitely the chat. It's definitely the creativity. Uh, well, you, you touched on it, uh, Jack. Ireland, uh, let's move on to them for a second. And obviously, James mentioned Sexton is not the same Sexton anymore. He's been quite poor of late. But still the captain, still starting at 10. Um, and to be honest, like I, I read up some stuff on Ireland. The options behind him aren't exactly that great, uh, which is probably why he's still getting a game. Um, what's your... I think, let me just have a look. Um, is, it, is it Bryn or something or there's playing uh, behind him? Who's, uh, from, by the sound of it... Oh, Billy Burns. Yeah, Billy Burns. Uh, apparently he's... Uh, yeah, I'll let you take over. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I think this is going to be a really interesting year for Ireland because you look at their 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 pro teams and they have destroyed the pro four, uh, the pro twelve, pro fourteen, whatever it is this year. Um, you know, like you've got Ulster, Munster, and Leinster have run away with it. Um, those three are by far the best teams in the league. However, it's not so much the players that you did, that are in the Ireland squad or who are probably going to start in the first fifteen that have been doing that. So. You know, I think it's I think it's a huge opportunity for Scotland to go and be Ireland. You know, there there isn't like although Johnny Sexton's about a thousand years old, there is an aura about him that when he's playing for Ireland, Scotland can't get past him, and he knows how to beat Scotland. You know, like our Lothan, his wraparound play is still by far the best in the world, and he like from what you read about him, he just demands such a high standard from the rest of the players. This is also an Ireland team that I've got Paul O'Connell coming in as a defence coach, which will be really interesting to see what effect he has. But apart from that, like, you know, they've 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 been lamenting this whole we're going to play heads up rugby this year, which is just so not Ireland that we're used to. And I think, you know, similar to what has happened with Wales, which you can touch upon, there's a few opportunities with sort of the, the change in style of play, which Scotland could expose. Um, I, I, I think, you know, <clears throat> Scotland, I've got a real chance to target it. Um, this year um, and you know I'm really unconvinced by what Ireland have got behind them you know yeah. you've got Ross Byrne potentially as well Leinster who plays behind this armchair pack but under pressure does not look nearly half the player I mean not that many players do when they're under pressure but he Ross Byrne, Ross Byrne 10 uh, replacement isn't he uh, his yeah yeah Ross Byrne uh, I read I was reading up some stuff and uh, the the quote that made me laugh so much and it was he plays like an NFL quarterback who could sit back there all day and maybe make plays. Has the engine of a 55-year-old guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh my God. That's brutal. Who was that? I, some Irish fan. I loved it. I was like, wow, this guy must be bad. That's, that's come straight out of Monster HQ. That is, that is pretty scaling. Um, well, let's talk Wales then. Okay, so Wales have had, a to say, a difficult 12 months is an understatement. Um They've won three tests out of ten. I think there were a couple of lovely wins against Italy in there. Um, surely Wales, if Scotland can't be Wales, like, come on. I know they always give us a tough game, and it's always it's always a physical affair when you play Wales. It's never a high-scoring game. It's going to be a boring, low-scoring game as always. Um, but surely they're here for the taking, James. Like, Wales, um, they just don't really seem the same team. Like, obviously, they're in a transition period right now. And they're probably building towards the next World Cup and are really early stages in that process. Um, what, where do you think... Well, have you got anything to say on Wales to start with and then how is Scotland going to maybe attack them? Yeah, I mean, I don't envy uh, Pivak. Like, how can you follow Gatlin and the best coach they've ever had? Um, I, I think 
they seem to be a bit rudderless. Like you kind of look at their results. They've not really gone anywhere since he came in. But I think that was always going to happen. It's kind of the Fergie effect at Man U. It's the same thing really here. Um, I think it's too small a sample size to say that he's not going to do a good job, though. Um, and I think you've got interesting selections, things like Lydia kind of coming back in. It's kind of turning a bit to the old guard, the reliable um, ones that you kind of trust that I imagine will start getting uh, serious game time. Uh, although interesting that we see the kind of breaking news of Josh Adams uh, getting kicked out because he broke COVID protocol to go to, what was it, like a baby shower. Uh, so it's not easy times in the Welsh camp. But um, they have I think not waited like at least like a few weeks or, or even just a bit. Ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's stupid, but I think ultimately you're right. I think this is the year Scotland should be able to get them. I think yeah. they're a bit of a wounded animal this year. Let's try and get a win. Yeah, you've got to. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, it'll be a, we should beat Wales. We should. I think Ireland's a bit tougher. I think I know Jackie said they were kind of there for the taking, but for me, it's still Ireland. I think they've had the better of us for I don't know how many games now in a row. Um, and it's going to be a tough event. Is it home or away, Ireland? Not that it makes much of a difference with fans, but we're at home. We're at home. Okay, well, um, one. Uh, let's move on to the, to the big dogs then. The two favourites, uh, England and France. Um, we'll go England first because Scotland played them obviously week one, and if there is ever a chance that we have of kind of getting a better of England. This is this week. The coaches got COVID. There's players missing with injuries, like big players as well, missing with injuries. Uh, their training schedule has been disrupted so much with not just the head coach, but a lot of other coaches out with COVID stuff. Uh, well, how do you think England are going to fare? Obviously, they're heavy favourites. Uh, well, not heavy favourites, but they are the favourites. Um, James, as a England fan about a decade ago... Um, <laughs> What, um, we don't talk about that, Jasmine. We don't <laughs> what, what do you see? What do you see from the England camp just now? With 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 the turmoil going on, do you think we have a realistic shot at getting some sort of result out there? To be to be frank, no. Um, <laughs> I was looking at this. I was reading. Uh, I think uh, uh, another unnamed podcast. We won't name them on here. Did it? <laughs> they said like, oh, what you said. So Jones is out with COVID, and then said uh, Marler's left the squad. Sinclair's banned. Uh, Mako Vunapola is injured, Launchbury's out, all these kind of like the classic names that you'd think about up up front. Maybe the pack, Scotland pack, will finally dominate. No, the Scotland pack won't even dominate against like England's C team at the moment. Like, well, if they had Julian van der Berg at eight, then. well, yeah, okay, maybe at eight, but like the front five, like uh, uh, Jamie George's, I think everybody's Lions hooker starting, and the fact is, just England have so many clubs and so much depth. Uh, up front, I don't think many of the Scotland team would get on the pitch in the pack. Uh, so I don't see us winning. No. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, Jack, you're the positive Scotland fan. So if you say that we're not going to win, then I firmly believe we will not win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I also believe there probably will not be a better chance. For yeah, us that's my point. That was my point. This is and the what, best it's chance. It's 1983. It looks like the weather's going to be pretty like it's going to be relatively dry maybe a light like rain but like and scotland would need that because england would steamroller us in the wet but jimbo's points right you know you look at these guys that got out they're, they're bringing in like quality players who will slot into any international team in the world um and like 
you know, we you watch them play Ireland in the Autumn Nations Cup, and you know that's an Ireland team who's physical, and they got bullied. So I think Scotland will have to be so on it from the start. You know, and historically we've been really slow at turning over, get going against a very quick England team. Um, yeah, and you know everything in the press recently from England's been like we want to tear teams apart and stuff like that, which is, which doesn't bode very well for Scotland. But um, <laughs> <clears throat> but it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a really intriguing game um, to us. I'm really glad it's England first up. I, I think if Scotland was ever going to have a like the dreamed Six Nations tournament, it probably would require something like an England first up. So yeah, let's let's just that's the thing we need to, uh, under thirty boys and we'll be fine. Yeah, and then just send like a little COVID meal into the French camp before we play them, and then we're in we're in with a shout. Um, so let's move on to France. On that note, we've we've been talking for a while, so we're going to make this nice and short. Um. Uh, France are class, right? So, um, James, what have you got on that? <laughs> yep, Dupont's world class. Uh, and I think that's pretty much all I know about the squad. But uh, he'll, like, he's unbelievable. Just watching him play, the way he drives the game, the speed he brings. Last time, he kind of broke onto the scene last tournament, and I think he'll he'll drive them forward again. Is Intermac there going to be the starting 10? He's um, out injured. Oh, he's out injured. Yeah, because okay. those two yeah, are quality. Yeah, yeah, those two are quality together. Uh, that's one thing I'd say is, like, France, France realistically should have won the Grand Slam last year, right? They they they, they lost to Scotland because they were down to 10, like 14 men really early on. Um, apart from that, they like, they beat England. Com- it was I would say it was comfortable. The scoreline was a bit closer, but I thought they were pretty comfortable in that game, and they pumped everyone else. Uh, and in the Autumn Nations as well, they were really really good. Um, I can for me, I think they're my favourites especially with no fans, because England have the home game against them, I think, at Twickenham, but with, with no fans, it's basically just a neutral venue at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, Fra- France are my pick uh, for for the Six Nations as more of a Scotland fan than anything. I hope it's not England. But, Jack, uh, what your thoughts on France and where do you think the Six Nations are going? Um, do you know what? Like, you know, France unbelievable like you know they've got a production line their under 20s team have just like seamlessly slotted into their international squad their full men's squad which is just crazy um and you know we talk about intermac being out but you know they've got jalibert who starts at um who's probably going to start and he's at a bordeaux team who play really good rugby and you got louis carbonell who's at toulon who's like 21 and tearing up as well like he's these guys are just like top notch one thing I'd say is a huge win potentially for Scotland, depending on how long it's out for, is Vakatau is out injured. Now, that makes a huge difference. And, <clears throat> you know, he, like, you, you watch the Scotland game against them in the Autumn Nations Cup, and it was pretty close apart from one big line break from Vakatawa. And, <clears throat> I, like, it's going to be bloody tough because that's a huge French pack. They've got some electric backs, but Vakatawa is the kind of player who could you know, win a game on his own, really. He's he's probably in the top five world's best players right now. Um, and I think without him, Scotland have a chance. I mean, saying that, we haven't beaten France since 1999. <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know... Everything again, <laughs> again, you've got an empty stadium. They're without their most potent player. You know, <clears throat> you're not going to get a better chance to beat France. Yeah. Um, um, and, well, that, yeah, that's... old question, actually, for Jimbo. Is Dupont the best player in the world right now? Yes. Good. So yeah, just give me a give me your top three then. Six Nations voice. Uh, I'll start. I think it's going to be France, England, and 
as optimistic as I want to be about Scotland, I think it'll be Ireland. I think we'll we'll bottle it as always. Um, what about you, Jimbo? Uh, I think it'll be England, France, Scotland. Ooh, third place. Yeah, Jackie. England, France, Scotland for me as well. Wow, boys are very positive. This is not the vibe we have in this podcast. <laughs> it's the year, Jazz. <laughs> it's the, the year, year that we finished third. That's third place is positive, says it all, really, doesn't it? Well, that's the, that's the fact that the fact that you say that this is the year we'll finish third. We'll <laughs> be dancing in the streets of Christophan Road, I'll tell you that. So, yeah, let's move on to the debate session where, obviously, if you've been listening, um, you know, it's just uh, the guests make a case for something and then we kind of lambast them for their horrendous opinions Uh and yeah, we go from there. So, uh, Jimbo, why don't you start with year one? And uh, yeah, this, the topic I think you've been honoured with is uh, should Gregor Townsend be still be Scotland coach? Yeah, sure. So I'll just quickly lay out my position here. I am pro Gregor Townsend. I think he is the right answer, the right man for the job uh, at the moment. I think he's done a decent job so far and I think he's going to um, ultimately there's no point in sacking him because I don't know who else we'd bring in. Uh, but I've got some I've got some stats to back up my arguments. Um, but before I get on to them, I just want to clarify, I actually don't think he was the right appointment when he was announced as the Scotland coach. I don't think getting rid of Vern Cotter was the right decision. I think... They rushed into keeping Townsend happy, keeping the kind of homegrown talent in the job. I think he would have been a much better coach for Scotland with a few more years coaching somewhere else. Um, kind of super rugby, getting to know another bit of rugby coaching. He'd kind of only ever been in the Glasgow bubble, but they've done it now. They've appointed him. Let's see where we're at. So what I've done, I've done a little bit of uh, some, some data. I've got some stats for you. And uh, I've looked at the last five head coaches for Scotland. So we've got Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson, Scott Johnson, Vern Cotter and Gregor Townsend. And uh, the first stat to go with really is win percentage. Of the games, how many did they coach to wins? Frank Haddon actually surprised me at 39%, a bit higher than I thought he would have been. I remember those days being more miserable than that. And then Andy Robinson actually improved the win percentage up to 43. Scott Johnson was only in charge for 16 games. And I remember it was a, I can't remember if he was an interim appointment when he got made. But I don't know how he got promoted within the SRU because he only had a 31% win rate. Then Vern Cotter came along, our, our favourite Kiwi. And with 36 games in charge, they won 53% of their games. So everyone that says, oh, we want Vern Cotter back, why do we let him go? Gregor Townsend has a higher win percentage than him. So everyone's kind of this base that Vern Cotter built. Well, 53% of games won. Gregor Townsend has won 55% of games. A quick kind of preempting some rebuttal there that Gregor Townsend can only win games at home. Their away and neutral venue uh, win percentage is 47% uh, percent for both. So Gregor Townsend's just upped the winning percentage at home from 60 to 65. Um, and the other thing to really focus on, I think, is, is where these wins have come from under Gregor Townsend. Um, I think a lot of people kind of think that we, we've kind of lost our defensive edge and thinks he like maybe tried to attack too much, but wasn't actually that good at it. But he's increased the tries for per game from 2.4 under Vern Cotter to 3.2. So the attacking that he's implemented, the system that he's brought in has really like the proofs in the pudding. The stats don't lie. Uh, they're scoring more tries per game under him, and at the same time, defensively, they're only conceding—they're conceding the same amount, 2.2. So ultimately, I think 
he's done a great job. I think he wouldn't have done as good a job if Vern Cotter hadn't built the base that he did. But at the end of the day, I don't think his performance is justified getting rid of him. Yeah, sure, there's a bit of a tombola. You never know who he's going to pick. Like, he kind of seems to be changing the brand of rugby that he wants to play under. But he's doing a good job, and I don't think there's any reason to get rid of him. Well, I'll take first take of this track, if you don't mind. Uh, I've been warming up while Jimmy was going on there with stats that, nah, let's be honest, sometimes stats lie, and that's coming from me. <laughs> um, um, so the thing is, right, my uh, yeah, 55 percent of stuff. So my, my biggest thing with Gregor Townsend is he had the base that Byrne gave him. And the first year, year and a half, team was good because it was still Byrne's team. And then Gregor starts tweaking with it and bring his little tactical genius, uh, what's it called, uh, sprinklings into it. And we go to Six Nations, and let's be honest, we get humbled. And then we go to the World Cup, and let's be honest, we get humbled. Um, you look at the games he's won. So I looked at 2018 onwards, 2018 to just now. Uh, sorry, 2019 to just now. And these are the teams that he's beaten. Win percentage is all good, but you've got to look ahead to who he's actually beaten. And the teams he's beaten... Um, have been very poor. Like, uh, name a team that he's beaten of the last year and a half, two years as a Scotland manager, where you've gone, that's a great result. Scotland shouldn't have won that game, or Scotland weren't the better team. They've beaten a horrible Wales team this year. They've beaten Russia, and I can't remember who the other, Fiji in the World Cup. They beat um, Italy about three times. They beat um, France with when France were down to 14 men in the last two years. And that's that's been it. He's lost to Ireland. He beat France Ireland. twice. Beat France in 2019 as well. I'm looking... Okay, did he? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so one one win out of two years where he's beaten someone that he... Maybe you're going, that's a good result. The rest have all been... I think me, you or Jack could have been the manager who would have won those games. So, it's not really... I don't think he's added anything. That's my kind of point. I think he's kind of... He had, as you said, Vern Costa took a team from, what was it, 31% win rate to 53? And... Townsend taking us from 53 to 55, beating, let's be honest, like plumbers at the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I think should, I personally think he should have gone. After the World Cup, I'm sorry, Scotland are one of the top eight nations in the world. You should not be getting knocked out. I know it's Japan's home World Cup. I completely understand that. But the way we played was awful. We got absolutely humbled by Ireland. And then we Japan were way better than us. I know we kind of brought it back to, I think, within a score at the end. I think it was within seven. Um, but it, Scotland never looked like getting anywhere near getting out of the groups. And that should have been, for me, enough. The other thing I'd say is, do you think he would have still had a job if COVID hadn't hit? So COVID hit. We had a massive break. We came back. He beat Wales, who are, again, garbage. Um, and he kind of keeps it. Oh, yeah, we finished third. Woo. It's like, yeah, but you finished did you really finish? You only finished third because you beat France. You had 14 men, let's be honest. If they had full strength, you would have got pumped. And we would have finished the classic fourth or fifth, which we've been doing under you the whole time. Um, so, Jack, you go ahead. I've had my little Townsend rant. <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good case, though, to be honest. <laughs> I think you've done really well. Um, yeah, I mean, my, the first thing I wrote down was outside of away wins against our Wales in an empty stadium and Italy. Who, who have we beaten of note? Um, I would say, you know, Townsend really showed, his, like, ugh, I think you, you learn a lot about a coach when you hear about the, the tremors in, in the within the coaching staff. Now, he had one of, 
well, Scotland's most important player right now in Finn Russell, you know, felt the need to leave the camp because let, he didn't let agree Let the lad have that. a beer. Let the lad have another beer. <laughs> yeah, he just wants... <laughs> no, one, no one's worried about a third beer. But, you know, like, you, you've seen, like, in Scotland ended up 31-7 down at half time, And by all accounts, the second half turnaround was based on a change of tactics that was effectively done by a coup within the squad rather than <laughs> that was done by a coach, which it seems mind-boggling you know you know he he spoke about you know how important world cup preparations were and then um how how amazing he'd set up his team and they were they lost what 32 points to three or something in in in, in nice just before the world cup like, he clearly seems to 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 <clears throat> to believe in in certain aspects of, of statistics and everything whereas a guy who was fundamentally you know a, a guy who played head up rugby and was successful at it and doesn't want to like he doesn't want to apply any of that to a squad that has got a 10 that is exactly in the mold of who he was and has the potential to be so successful um yeah, I, I I agree with Jasmine. I don't really. Go. You covered most of my points, Jasmine. So no, no, sorry. Really nowhere else well, to go. Well, no, I'll, don't I'll, be. You've done I'll really change well. this to Jimbo. I'll, I'll say this to you. You say uh, you can't really fire him because like, what's the point, right? Uh, and who would you replace him with? Well, I'll put it this way. Surely, uh, and I, obviously you guys know more about rugby than me. But for me personally, having watched Scotland, I feel like this is like one of the most talented group of players we've had for a very long time, and. I'm kind of, you know that thing where you say like you have a golden generation. I'm not saying this is the golden generation, but it could end up being. There's a lot of young talent that's really, really, really promising. Surely this is the time, if you make a change, this is the time. You've got three years to the next World Cup. It gives a new coach to come in, work with these players, grow as a team, and work towards the World Cup. Do you think it's a big risk to just go, Gregor's done all right. Let's just give him another go. That, that's three years. And if Scotland are still repping a... 52% win rate against teams that are made up of frankly semi-pro players. Have we really improved? Have we wasted the best talents we've had? I don't know. What's the expression? There's only so much you can shine a turd, right? Like, <laughs> Scotland has two pro pro teams. Absolutely no depth. The grass rugby scene is grassroots rugby is just nowhere to be seen. They've tried this Super Six, but obviously COVID messed it up. You say this is a golden generation, but to be frank, as I've said already none of them would make any be anywhere near the England squad except maybe Hoggy and Russell. Um, I just don't think that... I, th- I think it's kind of over-ambitious over to say that a new coach could come in and suddenly make Scotland win 75% of their games like Eddie Jones has done for England. They've just got the resource. We're just so outmatched on resources. I don't think Scotland are going anywhere else other than kind of maybe stretching to 60% wins. Um, and that... I get your points about kind of the wins that they have gone, maybe being kind of easier matches, etc. But I just fundamentally think that he's done a pretty decent job. And I don't think there's anyone out there who would have done a significantly better job with this group of players at his disposal. I mean, go on, Jack. Do you think that Jamie Joseph of Japan has a better resource and structures around him than Gregor Townsend? And therefore Scotland... <laughs> like, you know, Scotland should be expecting to lose to someone like Japan. I mean, a home World Cup fired up in front of a crowd. I mean, I wouldn't want to bet against Japan then. teams that we're playing on Saturday who haven't been great at their own home World Cups. <laughs> True. 
You've done him, Jack. You've done him. (laughs) You've absolutely done Uh, him. uh, Yeah, I guess. Why? What's the difference between, you know, yeah, Jamie Joseph right now coaching a Japan team who probably don't have, like on paper, nearly as talented players as we do and are certainly not playing in leagues as competitive as Scotland's players, most of Scotland's players are. Why should we be losing so really comfortably in the end to teams like Japan? It's the way they play. the other thing, like, I don't know about you guys, but like, Townsend's way of rugby, it's, it's a bit of an eyesore at times. Like, it's it's not pretty. Like, we don't play, like, you watch, you say, oh, we've not got the players to play. As you said, Jack, Japan played beautiful rugby at the World Cup. Um, and yet they, the players have been taken away. They were drilled for ages, and that's all they were building up towards. I completely understand that aspect. But Scotland have a more talented player group. And you say, James, oh, you, you can't just bring in a coach who's going to take us to this level. But Wales haven't really got that big a player pool either. They've got they've... twice the number of pro teams. I mean, like, you say that, but... twice the number of pro, pro uh, players available to them. Now, budgets-wise, they're probably not quite twice as big, but That's still... Right. Budget-wise, like, The fact wise... that Wales, Wales and Ireland have twice the number of pro teams is exactly why they have been so much better than us over the last two decades or whatever however long since we've actually been any good like do you really think an extra pro team is going to make oh i'm not getting into that that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> okay we'll I, I think our lack of player pool is exactly the problem which will lead on to the next question of yeah. the whole tapping other international rules um yeah uh is it i just think gregor townsend gets scapegoated for scotland being mediocre and i don't think that I don't think that the we I don't think we would be any better in it with anyone else. Ah, oh, could not could not disagree more. What about but, someone like Stuart Lancaster? Try and pull oh, him so, out. Yeah, of, bring a PE oh. teacher <laughs> along to like drive forward change. Yeah, he's I'd, I'd rather fundamental a in a Leinster team that have taken over the, yeah. the Pro 14. Um, so I mean, I think uh, let's be honest. I think Talon's probably going to be in here for the next World Cup. Uh, which uh, is scary to say the least. Um, I feel bad because I also am pro Townsend, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like these arguments, man. <laughs> um, so let's move on to this player pool thing. So, Jack, your topic and what have you got to say? So, obviously, the topic I gave you was uh, it's getting, uh, for me personally, it's really easy for players to gain nationality and play for a different country with this residency rule, I think it's 36 months you have to be within a country um, to be eligible. So three years. Uh, yeah. What's your take on that? Is that, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Should it be harder to get nationality? Uh, sorry, Jack, yeah, Jimbo, sorry. Just to the, the rules are changing. So you're right. It's currently 36 months, but it's being extended to five years um, from the end of next this year. It was meant to have already happened. So it means that if you have lived in the country for, uh, before three years and you get capped before the end of this year, it's okay. But it is going up to five. Okay. Jack, on you go. Floor is yours. What is the main goal of any competitive sport? It's of course to win. <laughs> <laughs> How do you win? Either you you know you have the best player resource <laughs> or does or you you have the best coaches or you know <clears throat> you, you you create the best team that will that will put you in the best stead for yeah for delivering the best product on the field now there has been 
a history of players coming into let's take Scotland for example because they're very easy on this one there's a history of very tenuous links of players coming into Scotland now you have you know grandmothers and mothers being brought in but what really is the difference between a grandmother who's been who's Scottish of a player who has not given two hoots about being Scottish up until the time that they come for a call to, you know, a project player. Yeah, that rules are right loud. I personally don't see that big a difference. Um, <clears throat> on, you know, my main goal as a, a Scotland rugby fan is I want to see Scotland succeed as a team. I want to see them get better and better. Now, the best way <clears throat> to get better is by playing with better players around you. Now, if you get more high-quality players from other international countries coming to play for you the standard is going to increase because either they get in or you're going to have to get better players from your own nation to come in and take the spaces off of them um one other aspect yeah jimbo touched on it from a scotland point of view you know we have a tenth of the player pool of england and as a scotland fan i want to see scotland do as well as i can and i feel that anyone who pulls on the scotland shirt through residency is entitled to wear that. And the reason I say that is because most average rugby players' careers are about 10 years. Now, if you're willing to commit to 30% of that being in a country that is unknown, then that's that's a very big service. Now that fact, that's increasing to half of your professional rugby career. Quite frankly, in a country like Scotland, where you could earn a lot more money in a lot of other countries, I think you've more than done a commitment to that. On the whole, from the vast majority of players I've seen, I've seen, you know, we'll take a few from the, the current Six Nations. You've got Bundyaki, James Lowe, CJ Sander, Duan van der Merwe, William Nell, uh, Vermi Vakatawa, Hadley Parks, um, Nathan Hughes, historically from England as well, like um, Ollie Cable, Sam Johnson. These are all quality players who have represented their national, their countries, uh, their adopted countries at very high levels. You've got some players who've got on to be lions in there. The only thing they're doing is raising the quality of rugby within the team rather than causing problems. The whole idea of it stopping Scottish spaces getting into the Scotland team is ridiculous because what it's doing in fact is encouraging the best players to come through the system um that's pretty much all <laughs> uh Jimbo, what 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 was your stand on this then like I... so yeah i think jack just covered some good points there and i think that ultimately this is kind of all about what does it really be mean to be from somewhere it's pretty hard to kind of define that and jack's right there are some pretty kind of already tenuous connections with like a grandparent someone didn't even know they had john hardy's the prime example for scotland 2015 world cup just waltzes in having never even been to scotland from being a very good rugby player down at super rugby in new zealand uh, and has a scottish grandmother so comes straight into the team i think it naturally comes to the forefront at the moment with duhan kind of looking a bit like a cowboy coming in getting his three years of residency at edinburgh getting capped and then going going off for a payday down south at Worcester um I think things like that are why people have a cynical attitude towards it and I have to say I kind of agree the reason is is as much as there's it's all very well Jack saying this makes your your players better what do you think about the kind of like young 18 year old lad who's like dream it is to play for his country and then suddenly someone gets shipped in and can, and after three years just takes his spot. That means he's never going to get capped. I think the key here really is, is three years long enough? Jack makes a good point. It's kind of 30% of a playing career. 
But we all know that all that's going to happen is the, the kind of unions with money are just going to start going and targeting players from a younger age. You look like the RFU just chucking out school scholarships to Harrow and Eton for people from Argentina or from the islands. And you hear about it happening in New Zealand as well. I think that's the problem with this rule is it's not actually the, the do hands of this world. Because I think that Jack's right. He's committed a certain percentage of career, his career to it. I think the problem is the slippery slope that it starts, kind of the what it's going to do to kind of tier two nations, although I hate that term. And they just get like poached from a younger and younger age as, as the residency rule goes up. Um, and I think ultimately the main argument against it is the fact that you're getting in the way of people who like m might genuinely be able to make the national squad if it wasn't like literally 50% people from other countries as Scotland's is this year. Yeah, well, the one, so my, my point, my stance on this, like, like when you're at, like, Scotland or the home nations, you're obviously going to get players that aren't born and bred in Scotland. Like, it's such a, like, UK-wide, I have no issue with that. Like, people move to England, their parents move to England, but they have, like, parents that are Scottish or grandparents, and that's fine. My issue really lies with, like, the three-year residency rule stuff because... I know a few of those players have represented other countries at younger levels. So they have like played like under 18, under 16, under 20, whatever, for a different country. Uh, and I think the rule should be, if you've played at any level for a country, that is your nationality. You can't then just go pick and choose and go, oh, I'm probably never going to make it into the South Africa team. Mm, Scotland are pretty guff. Yeah, why not? Let's go live there for three years. I'll probably play international rugby there. I think that's where it kind of... I completely understand and I agree with the do-hands of the world or people that... You know, when they move here, when they're like 15, right? They weren't born here. Like they came when they're 14, 15, did schooling in Edinburgh or, you know, they, they played for Scotland under 16, 18s, 20s. Fair enough. Scottish national, play for Scotland. But it's the people that, yeah, okay, represent Australia under 16, 18, 20, and then find like a grandmother from like some side that was like half Scottish or something. And then they're like, oh yeah, let's go play for Scotland because I'm eligible now. Like, that's where I draw the line because I think that's just stupid because you you've all, you're, you have defined yourself as your nationality is Australian. You've played for Australia for the youth groups. You can't then just change and go, nah, I'm going to play for Scotland because I've got a better shot at playing international rugby. Yeah. Um, and that's my biggest issue with this whole thing. And the parallel I draw is the English one with cricket where uh, Boyd Rankin played for Ireland, then found a grandmother who was English, so played a test for England then realised he was never good enough to play for England again and then went back to play for Ireland. Like, you just can't just pick and choose. Like It's just not a thing. Um, Treating so, it like yeah. a club, not a country. Yeah, exactly. As Jim was saying. Well, I think that's the problem. That's the way the game's going, is that the money yeah. is in the national fixtures. Like, the RFU doesn't really care Like doesn't really care about the clubs because they get so much money for the England players yeah. and they're getting... And the players, they're getting 50 grand a game. Like, yeah. you understand why you want to play for them. Well, as, well, as Jim was saying, that... Where do you draw the line? Because then, if if you're saying it's five years, then yeah, they're gonna it'll be like club rugby, won't it? It'll be scouts going out to Georgia, going out to Argentina, going out to all these places. Going, this lad's got something about him. Let's get him into Harrow for his last two years of school. By the time he's 21, there we go. Boom, we've got an English eligible player. Um, and yeah, that's that for me isn't okay. I think international rugby should be about international. It should be about you representing your country. It shouldn't be about oh, I got scouted when I was 16, so I could go play for England now, which is great. Um, so the residency rule is something that I really, really am against. 
they when you have grandparents and parents and stuff, and if you've not represented in a country, yeah, feel free come play for Scotland, even if you've not lived here. Like you have, you are in some way a, a Scottish national. So that makes complete sense. Um, so yeah, I actually think the grandparent rule is more stupid than the residency rule, personally. Really? Yeah, and know, you end up with a lot more tenuous connections. Who, like John Hardy, the SRU had literally not put anything into his career at all, and he just saw it as an opportunity to get to play at the World Cup because he knew he wasn't going to get an All Black cap, um, and that was her grandparent. Whereas at least Duhan has had to kind of give something back to the SRU. Yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, yeah, as I said, my, my stance is if you represent another country at any age group, you've committed to that country. You can't pick and yep. choose. Uh, Jack, what about you? What, what any counters? Um, I would say the best way to grow the game in Scotland is for Scotland to be a successful rugby team, and if that means getting more, because let's be honest, you know these players are getting capped because the SRU or WRU or whoever believes that they these guys can have an impact. Because what else is the point in having them, you know, being pulled across? So if you can get a team like Scotland, for instance, to be more competitive, you're going to get more people playing. You see that with all different sports. You'll see that with, you know, more kids will be playing football than ever because Scotland are going to the Euros, you know, and that will that will drip down. So I firmly believe that is the best for Scotland's own domestic population, the better the quality of rugby. So I believe that if you have project players, then you're going to get more and more people coming in and well, you're going to get more and more interest in the game and growing it domestically even though that requires some international influence um i mean i completely agree with you on the the international stuff i mean there's so much chopping and changing you know you look like zach mercer is like represented scotland under 16s england under 18s and went on to do for england like denny Lamona and leslie vinacolo both played new zealand rugby league then sweet switched over to england to play for the england national team that's mental same with Shantaine Happy, I think all these like rugby league convicts. Yeah. That's that's a joke. Um, yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I I guess do, yeah. It, there there's talk of like, do you nail your colours to the mass as an 18 year old? Um, but like, is that unfair? On you know, is that unfair on kids to have to like make that commitment, especially if they're not aware of like <laughs> these sort of nationalities? Um, yeah. But no, I, don't know. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, at the end of the day, you, in that, you're asking a child, like, you know, are you willing to, like, pin your colours to the mask? You have to play South Africa because you've made it to Western, pro, pro, like, Western provinces, like, under 18 squads. Yeah. Like, meh. Yeah. I think it's a huge debate. I, like, I, I think it, it's a potentially quite dangerous debate yeah. as well. I think, uh, as, as Jim pointed out, I think uh, uh, making the rule five years, I think, eliminates a lot of those things. I think three years is way too short because you could just. You could just bring someone in, <laughs> like he's like, find whoever's playing who's not made a, who's not got a cap for New Zealand, like ah, oh, come live in Scotland for four years and you can play for us. Um, so... it, it's funny, like because you know it's funny seeing because Scotland obviously were one of the first to really like push the whole project player, and there was a lot of countries who were like really against it and stalwarts against it. Ireland very much so as a country. And I remember like when CJ Standard first came over, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is a joke," like blah blah. blah. Yeah. And then he started, you know, actually tanking it in the <laughs> in the six shirt band. And then it was like, "Oh no, he's straight over Limerick, straight over Limerick." <laughs> and like, you know, oh, he's a real monster man. I was like, "What the fuck does that mean?" We've just gone from talking about nationality to now he's to be, like to be a fair, club. 
<laughs> to be fair, you had Adam Irvish probably from Dalgetty Bay, so who knows? Do what I rate though is I what? rate people who sign extensions, like you know, Jakob van der Waal and W. P. Nell have signed extensions, which shows that like that they are like really happy to represent Scotland because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. these are guys like. <clears throat> although I've got questions about Jakob, you could go somewhere else if you want to. It's probably a spot in the top fourteen, especially for his game. Um, you know, they are making commitments, like yeah. life commitments, and you have to remember that. It's not just a sport. Like they You do have, have to wonder if, how much, if Duhan just came down to COVID and the budget just disappeared for Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh's like, budget no was Edinburgh tied to 100 times. He was never yeah. getting, like, the... Yeah. the, the that the, is true, though. Edinburgh's, Edinburgh's budget is very tight, though. That's one of the reasons Matt Scott left. Um, well, as in they couldn't afford him anymore, right? Um, so... Yeah, I mean, interesting stuff, boys. I, we, we have been chatting for a very long time, so I do need to uh, call it there. But honestly, thank you very much for joining Jack and James. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to Rugby Union and uh, Six Nations coming up. And we'll have you guys on in three weeks' time in Scotland. We've got 0-3. Um, <laughs> and we can, uh, we can, we can re-talk about how Gregor Townsend needs to go. Um, but anyway, cheers for coming. Next podcast is a cricket one with a lot of test cricket stuff coming on. So tune in for that one. But thank you very much, lads. And that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much.